Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Well, the keys to a powerful prayer life, about 11 or 12 weeks now. And um, next Sunday will be our grand finale on the prayer series. And I, I think there are some things that very important for us as individuals, for our community, and for our nation we're going to talk about next week. And um, today I want us to think along the line of what if. There's a lot of what ifs in the world. And you know, the what if asks you to imagine the past. What if something had been different? And the question, what if, also points to the future and says, what if I do this? What if I take this action? It has a past and a present. We might say, what if I had been born during a different era, a different time? You know, sometimes I, I, I look at different uh, generations and periods of history, and I, and I wonder, what would it have been like to have lived during those days? Now, you know, sometimes we can glorify that. You know, when we go back to Little House on the Prairie and um, uh, the Waltons and all, there's some great things that go on in those families, some things that uh, have some, they, they, they remind us of some days that were more, that were simpler, that days that uh, families enjoyed times together. But sometimes we don't see the negative or the difficult side of those days either, do we? So, what would life have been different if you'd been born in the 1800s? What would life have been like for you if you had been born to different parents? What if, what if you had um, married someone else or not married at all. What if you'd chosen a different career? What might have happened? What might have happened? What if certain in inventions had never been made? So we look back and say, what, how would life be different if that was the case? How would life be different if that was the case? Then we begin to think, well, what if? What if I, what if I choose to seek the Lord in a greater way? What would happen? What if I really choose to put him first? What would change? What if I spent more time with my family? What if I worked harder or less and rested more? What, what if? What if? Today, I want you to ask a question. I want you to look at the question. What if the church really prayed? What if the church really prayed? Now, we need to remember that not all churches that pray are praying churches. Practically every church prays at some point in time. But could we describe very many churches in a way, in such a way as to call them praying churches. 
That is a praying church. You know, it's, it's always good to hear things, positive things about the ministry, positive things about this, this, this ministry, this church. One of the greatest things I think that I, I could ever hear would be someone's opinion or their feelings about this ministry or their take on it from having visited or heard about it would say, I'll tell you one thing, I'll tell you one thing, that's a praying church. What difference would that make? What, what, if, what if that was really the case? Now, understand, nothing takes the place of personal prayer. That's where it starts. It starts with individuals. It starts with us as individuals. It's coming to follow Christ and to realize we've got a line back and forth to God, a two-way communication, that God hears our prayers, He answers our prayers, we can hear from God, that God does wonderful, magnificent, powerful things in answer to prayer from individuals. But individuals come together, followers of Christ, individual believers make up the church, don't they? Church is not this building. Church is not this gathering on Sunday morning. It's one aspect of how we do church here in, here in this place, in this area. But that's not the church. You can go all the way back 20 years. And when I first started sharing with a very small group of people that was eventually, as God added to the church, eventually would become Covenant Life Ministries from the very outset, from the very outset, from those of you that were maybe around during those early days, from the very outset, you heard me over and over again say, the church is not the building. We all know that. But sometimes we don't practice that. We pretend. In, in all reality, this is a church. I'm going to church next Sunday. Drive by, that's my church. Well, we're talking about the building. We're talking about the time. But deep down as believers, we know that that's not the church. We don't have to have this building to be the church. I'm so grateful for the building facilities that God has given us and for the future ones that he's going to give us. I'm so grateful for that. But it's just a tool. It's just, and, and if we're not careful, we allow it to get in the way and hinder us from being the real church. I've seen it happen. And coming together to go through our songs and our, our every Sunday morning kind of activity and, and sitting through a sermon, you know, that's one aspect of church, but it's a very small one in a sense when you look at the big picture. You and I are the church. When we come together, we are the church gathered together as a body of believers. But when you go out wherever you go during the week, you are still a representative of Christ and you're the church. And oh, if we could be known as a praying church. And the scripture makes it quite clear. When you go into the word, it makes it quite clear that corporate prayer, that the church getting together and praying together is a powerful, awesome thing. Ian Bounds, who wrote so many books on prayer, he said, what the church needs today is, is, is not more machinery or better, or better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods, but what the church needs today is men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, mighty in prayer. Now, he wrote that about 100 years ago. I remember, I've heard this story over the years, and I think it's, from my understanding, it's supposed to be a true story. This, uh, it happened uh, back in a small town in Texas some years ago, and the, the little town there had historically been a, a, a dry county, a dry area, and most of us understand that means that there was no alcoholic beverages served there, it, no, no 
beer, no liquor, no alcoholic beverages were allowed to be sold in that area. It was considered to be dry. But then a, a local businessman decided that he would take action and would build a tavern, a bar. Well, a local church there, a local church there became very concerned and they started a campaign against it and they planned an all-night prayer meeting. They gathered together to pray and to intercede, to call out to God over the people of that area and to ask Him to intervene and not, and that, that bar, that that tavern would not open in that area. Well, shortly after this, lightning struck the building, that tavern and bar, and it was completely leveled, burned to the ground. Well, the owner of the bar decided to sue the church. He was claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for what had happened. However, the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. And the presiding judge, after reviewing the case, stated, I really don't know exactly how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that I have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a church that does not. <laughs> prayer was a dominant part of the early church. They experienced the mighty works of God's supernatural power, amazing growth. And the best way to see that is to, is to kind of survey or travel through the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles right after the four Gospels in the New Testament. And much of what we read about in the book of Acts is about the birth of the church and the ministry of the, what we call the New Testament church, the early church, and then the, the evangelism, the, the sharing of the Gospel. It starts all the way back to Acts chapter 1. Uh, the disciples got together and they decided that they need to pray for somebody to take, uh, take the, the place of Judas. You know, Judas was no longer with them. If you, you know, know what I mean. You know, he unfortunately was, had, had betrayed the Lord and, and was dead, tragic. Uh, and so now they were down to 11. They've been 12 all this time, so they're down to 11. So they decided to meet together and pray. So they met together and prayed and sought the Lord. Lord, show us which one you would have, to, uh, which one you would call upon to be the one who takes Judas' place, Judas's place. So they prayed. And then interesting, the scripture says they prayed and they cast lots. Now there are some 70 mentionings of, of casting lots back in the Old Testament. And, and we're not totally clear that exactly how that was done or how that was done in every situation. When you look at the New Testament, it, it seems from... It seems from uh, historical writings and from what we can gather as far as information that in the, in the New Testament, when it said they cast lots, it was kind of like, I hate to say this because it sounds so trivial, it was kind of like they flipped coins. They flipped the coin. Or they drew straws. That's, you know, or they, we hate to say this for a church, or they dice. No, I don't think they probably did that, but you know. But uh, Lord, show us which one, this one or this one or this one. And 
the lot was cast and the name, and it was cast and Matthias was the one who was named to take his place. Now, it was right for the church to begin and ask God first to pray about it. You know I don't know this and I don't want to be presumptuous in any way. But I think it might be possible that they picked the wrong man. I think if they would have been patient, I think that there was men like Paul that was coming on the scene. There. I don't know. We hear nothing else about the man that took it. We hear nothing else about it. Nothing. Nothing's recorded. Nothing. They prayed, but you know, remember we talked about it before? You can undo your prayers by your actions, by your words. And the truth is they prayed and said, we're going to pray about it, Lord, and uh, we're going to flip a coin and see which one it is. Be very careful, cautious about that. I'm going to pray about it, Lord, and the first one that walks in that door will be the one. Be, careful, be very careful about that. But regardless, they believed in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus had commissioned the followers, his followers to go and share the gospel of the kingdom in Acts chapter 1 and then to make disciples. But he said, first, before you do that, it's important you go and tarry or stay in Jerusalem, an upper room, a place where you would come, reside together, spend time together, some 120 disciples there. And during that time, and I think there was a lot of prayer that took place during that time, uh, prayer, communion, worship, seeking God. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit came upon them, what we call the, the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them there in Acts chapter 2. Amazing things happened. Amazing things. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 42, the New King James Version says that there were many other words that Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, in other words, after this miraculous infilling of the Holy Spirit, he went out in the streets. They were preaching. They were sharing supernaturally through, through even unknown languages, tongues, ones that they were not familiar with themselves. It was a miraculous thing that was taking place. And thousands were coming to know Christ. And he continued to do that he testified and exhorted. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. Then picking up with verse 41, he says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42. And here's what they did. They continued steadfastly, continually, steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine, in their teaching, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And in prayers. They continued steadfastly praying. And what happened? Verse 43. Fear came upon every soul, a, a, a reverence for God. Many words and signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44. And all that believed were together and they had all things common. They met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold property. They gave to the poor. Very generous church. Verse 46 and 47, and it says, They continued daily in one accord in the temple. They worshiped there uh, uh, in a public worship and gathering, and they broke bread from house to house. They met from house to house. What an amazing thing happened there in that early church. But it was birthed, I think, during a time of prayer, and I think the very foundation of it was prayer. It says in verse 47, They were praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Then you move right on into Acts 3. And uh, remember the account of uh, uh, Peter and John. They go up to the temple. There's a lame man there. And 
and in the name of Jesus, they speak to him, and he is raised up. He's completely healed, and then there's, uh, uh, there's a big stir in, in the city, and people are talking about it, and the religious leaders are hearing about it, and Peter and John are preaching, and they're sharing Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, and as they continue to do that, then the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, the high priest, the temple guard, the council, and others decided to call them in, to arrest them and interrogate them. And they challenged them about what they were saying. What right do you have to say this? And they said, you need to stop. They didn't know exactly what to do with them. So they said, you just, just don't do it. We don't know exactly to do what to do because of what you, you, you know, we don't know how to address what you've done, but here, just stop it, okay? Would you guys just quit? We, we don't, this is what makes us uncomfortable. We don't like this. We don't understand it. It's not what we've been used to. Would you just stop? Please stop. But in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to preach Christ to them. He saw boldness of Peter and John. They, the men perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they saw that they had been with Jesus. And when they were challenged and told to stop sharing about Jesus, here's what Peter and John answered. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And he says, we can't stop. We must speak the things that we've seen and heard. And after that, they leave from that place, Peter and John, they go back to the scripture says they're companions to their own people. And that simply means they went back to the group of believers, to a church. They went back to a gathering of believers to the church. Now, two great verses of scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. Look at that with me. Acts 4, 30 and 31. It says when they came back there and they began to praise God for his greatness, his power and his authority. And then it says in verse 30 that they prayed. They prayed, Lord, give us boldness to preach your word and stretch out your hand with healing power. May miracles, signs, and wonders be done in the name of Jesus. And verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is what happens to a real praying church. Prayer was a, was a, was a very fundamental, central focal point of this early church. Another account is given in Acts chapter six and let me just kind of paraphrase it. The church, uh, the church was growing was spreading, more and more people coming to be Christians, followers of Christ, and wonderful, amazing things happened. But you know, the church was made up of human beings, and where there are human beings, there are personalities, and there are differences, and there are problems. Amen? And so they had their problems. We read, there's two or three of them in the book of Acts, but one of the earliest ones we have account here is in Acts chapter 6 and what happened was the church had grown so rapidly and it was a ministry of the word but it was also a ministry of carrying one another and ministering to others. And what happened there was they had a ministry to, to, to help widows, to, to give food to those that were in need. And the, the, Greek, the Greek Jews or the Hellenists if you will, they said our widows are being neglected. They don't get food like the 
native or, or the, the Jewish, the Hebrew Jews. They're, they're being overlooked. And so there was little animosity and trouble. So the church decided to, to deal with it. Let's, let's do something. There's, there's a problem here. Let's don't stick our heads in the sand and, you know, let's take action. Let's do something about it. So when they confronted the problem, they came together and they prayed over it. They thought about it, sought the Lord on it. And what did they do? They said, okay, we've gathered all of you together here. You need to choose from among you. Men, you need to choose from among you those who will take this responsibility and their focus, their main thrust of ministry will make sure that those who are in need will be ministered to and those that are hungry are fed. They are going to be that practical arm of ministry out there. They call them deacons. Servants, deacons, diaconos, serve. There is no such thing as a board of deacons in a leadership role in the New Testament church. In the church, deacons were people that were chosen to serve people that were in need while there were others in leadership there that would deal primarily with the ministry of the word and prayer and the spiritual oversight. One was not more important than the other, mind you. It's not even more important. They had different roles, a different place there, but all of them need to be done. So the church got together and decided to pray over this. They chose men. Stephen was one of the ones that was chosen men, full of the Holy Spirit who gave his life. But, but great men chosen to do this work. And they did this. They chose men, men that, that met the qualifications, filled the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 4, chapter 6. The leadership, the ministry leaders there, the pastors, the apostles said, we will spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. What does this tell me here? Does that mean that there's no opportunity or possibility for someone in leadership or apostle or pastor to care for the needy and to serve and to wait on tables from time to time and to become a servant all, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can be distracted by all of these this busyness and all these different things that need to be, you can be distracted from that so that unfortunately, unfortunately what is lacking is time in God's word and time in prayer. And that ends up hurting everyone because the more that leadership in ministry the more that time that they have, the more freedom they have to devote to the word and in prayer and in spiritual leadership there, the greater blessing it is to everyone that's connected in that body of believers and to those that can be impacted by them. What the church saw here quite clearly in the beginning stage was you need to make prayer and the word a priority in ministry. Other things need to be taken care of, but here's where the priority is. Belong. So very important. Very, very important. Then in Acts chapter 5, we'll just move through Acts a little bit here. Acts chapter 5, we touched on this uh, uh, maybe a couple, three weeks ago. This is where uh, Peter's in prison. Uh, we know that, that uh, Herod has been uh, on the rampage that Peter was brought to prison with uh, uh, the intention probably of executing him. But it was during the day of unleavened bread, Passover, so he needed to wait till after then before a decision was made. But in the meantime, Peter was in prison, locked in chains with 16 Roman soldiers standing guard. Four groups 
of four. Amazing to be so fearful of one man. But miraculously, an angel of God came miraculously. The chains fell off. He was set free. He walked out of that place. And the first place, after he came to himself, realized this was not just a dream. It really happened. He's free. He, what did he do? He came to the place where the church was meeting. He was in a house. Rode the servant. Came, girl came up. Opened the door when he knocked. And she was so shocked she didn't expect to see him. Now they had been praying. You remember? Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 5. It says, Peter was kept in prison, but, but here's what the church was doing. They, the church was praying fervently and persistently, earnestly. They were praying for him. And their prayers got answered. He was set free. He camp, comes to where they are, and he shows up there, and they're literally shocked that he does show up there, that their prayers were answered that way. But they are shocked, but there he is now, and here we need to see that I believe that with, even though the church is perhaps not in the place of faith they needed to be there, I believe it was important that that church realized if there was going to be any breakthrough, if there was going to be anything that, that, that would bring about a, a, uh, that, that would bring about the safety and the release of Peter, it was going to be because they would stand in prayer and call on God for that. So let me point out a few things very quickly here before we go today. Just some things based upon these scriptures from the Word of God and just some things that are on my heart. What if the church really prayed? What if the church really prayed? First of all, if the church really prayed, we would experience the presence and the power of God in a deeper dimension than ever before. James chapter 4 says, draw near, come closer to God, and he'll draw near to you. Let's draw near to the Lord in prayer. Now, we know he lives in us. We're talking about near. We're talking about the manifested presence of God. Lord, I come before you. I bow before you. I yield to you. Holy Spirit, come into this place, Lord, with a, with a manifestation, Lord, of your joy, of your presence, of your, Lord, of your freedom. And, and you will begin, as the church begins to pray for this, you're going to see greater freedom. You're going to see a greater awareness of the presence and, and the power of God. How many of you be in favor of that? I'm asking for a church vote here in this one situation. How many of you? Okay. All right. How many of you would really be in favor of that? Okay. That's what we're believing God for. If the church really prayed, secondly, we would walk in greater unity. In greater unity. Now, this is, uh, this church lives and walks in unity. We love one another. We care for one another. We forbear with one another. And we forgive one another. There can always be some issues that come up. But love wins. His love wins. We're still going to love. We're still going to forgive. We're going to... You know, walk this out together. But boy, when the church begins to pull together, being on the same page, on the same team, united, everyone moving as one in the name of the Lord, that is awesome. And there is, there's no, it would be amazing to see what would happen. Are we together? Yes, we're together. Is there a level of unity together here? But I believe there's something that can make us even closer. I believe that. Walk in greater Unity. The third thing I think we would see when a church really prays 
is that the word itself, the scripture, would be shared with greater power and anointing. Not just on Sunday morning here, but from every teacher or everyone here that's involved in some aspect of, of ministry, that when the church really prays, when you share the word, when you share the word, there'll be a quickening and a power. Because the word is alive. God's word works. God's word works. But when you're walking in that anointing and when you pray before the Lord, there's something about it that causes that to work in a deeper, more significant way many times. It's important for us to see this. So very important. The fourth thing here when the church really prays is we, the church will experience a greater increase, spiritual growth and blessings. We will experience increase in every area, spiritual growth and blessings. People coming to this place, learning how to walk in the blessings of God. People coming here as new Christians or who come to Christ and come here to be discipled and led into a place of being strong followers of Christ. Learning how to be successful in, in fulfilling His purpose. Learning how to live out your life, to be the Christian husband, the Christian wife, to bring your home up in the way that God has, has called you and designed for you to do. This is, this is what God will do. He will begin to work to bring greater knowledge, greater understanding, greater blessing, greater spiritual growth. If a church will just pray, I mean consistently pray. Now we take action. Prayer is always going to result in us taking action. But it starts with prayer. Number five, if we really prayed, you would see and we would see and experience more miracles, breakthroughs, healings, and restorations. There is so much I could say there that I think I'll just let it speak for itself. That when we pray that God's going to release some things through our lives, not just here on Sunday morning when we gather, but God's going to release some things. I'm saying supernatural. I'm saying supernatural. Things that cannot be explained any other way than to say, that's God. That person was healed. Do we believe in doctors? Do we believe in, in the, the good that can take place through treatments and medication? Of course we do. Of course we do. Thank God for that provision that is there. God's the only healer. He's the only healer, but he can use people. He can use situations to help bring that point. But I believe that we're coming to a time to where we will, instead of first running to the doctor or taking a pill, the church will become such a praying church that people are going to be healed, made well and strong because we pray first. Now, if then you go to the doctor, okay, but I think many times if we prayed first, there wouldn't be a need to go on. But nevertheless, God wants a church that will be a praying church that will bring about, bring about miraculous, miraculous things happening 
people that have been bound by certain things in their life years and years and years that are set free. Marriages that are broken, healed. Kids that you've been praying for, sons and daughters you've been praying for that's away from God that you maybe don't even know exactly what's going on in their life. But you're going to see breakthrough in their lives. Something amazing happen. Things that have been stolen from you by the enemy and opportunities that are out there that, that you've been prevented from taking for, what by, for whatever reason. Those hindrances are going to fall down and the opportunities and the doors are going to open right there before you because God wants to bring restoration to your life in a lot of different areas. And I believe he'll do that if a church will get serious and be a praying church because you see this will happen because we're his agents here on earth have the Holy Spirit in us but the church is his agents here on earth and his our prayer is what Jesus said our prayer should be Lord your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven our role as believers is to pray and believe God and allow him to work supernaturally in our lives, powerfully in our lives, so that where we are and what we do brings about an awareness of the kingdom of God and a functioning of the kingdom of God here in this place. It's not heaven, but it's a bit of heaven on earth because it's, it's an environment where Christ is honored, an environment where God's, God's will is, is carried out. You know, literally, that word, it says, says, instead of saying, like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, literally, that's, that's in praying, it's, 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 we could say it's like a pronunciation or a declaration. It's a declaration that says, God, your will be done. And what we do is say, kingdom come. Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And our role as prayers is to believe God and to walk it out in such a way that we see a manifestation of those kingdom, of kingdom power and kingdom principles here in this place. Jesus preached the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we'll remember that we have victory over the enemy, Satan. We have authority and victory over him through Christ. The final thing that I, or that's not the final thing, but another thing, Thing that I think we'll see through a real praying church is we'll see an amazing harvest. An amazing harvest and by that means an awakening. Souls. People drawn to this place. People drawn to you. People that you cross paths with that will come to personally know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm talking about harvest. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about crowds of people. I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about heaven and a praying church. If it's ever going to happen here, it'll be because first we're a praying church. We pray the prayer of faith. When we do this, we'll have an impact on our families. We'll have an impact on the community. We'll have an impact on the world. Sure, it'll offend some people. 
Sure, when, a, when the church starts functioning the way the church is supposed to function, there's going to be some folks out there that's not going to like it. Always have been. Always will be in this life. But dear God, help us to discover that. See, I think it boils down to the fact that when, the, when, when they prayed, the place was shaken. And boy, there sometimes there just needs to be, we need to be moved, don't we? Sometimes we just need to be moved. Something needs to change, doesn't it? And, and when they prayed, chains were broken. Sometimes we just need to be set free and walk in that freedom. And finally, when they prayed, the word was spoken. And so when we do that, we're going to see the word of God spoken in power and authority. Samuel Chadwick wrote, he said, the one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. He trembles when they pray. They pray. Before we go, I'm just going to name Think five things. Five things. This is CLM. CLM is Covenant Life Ministries. Church. Gathering. Name some things for us. What can we do? What can we do? So what does this mean to us as a gathering, as a body of believers? Well, I think number one, it's important for us. We're going to be a praying church. So then let's incorporate intentional prayer in our gatherings, in our services. Let's incorporate intentional prayer. We said, well, you know, that, why would you even have to mention that? Because at times, there are times that you can get so involved in the order of the service or the things that we do on Sunday morning that we, if we're not cautious about this, we'll overlook the fact of it's, it's our communication, our communion with Him that is more important than anything else. More important than anything else. Did you know that much of what goes on up here before I come up and share is prayer? Did you know there's a whole lot of praying that goes on here Sunday morning? You know there's a lot of prayer that goes on here even while we're worshiping and singing? There's prayer going on from within. There's open prayer during worship. You'll hear Leanne or someone in the worship team, you'll hear them pray and seek the Lord. Because uh, prayer and, and worship is just like you don't separate them. You just don't separate them. They're just like Siamese twins. You don't separate them. And that's why when you begin to practice a more of your individual time in prayer, make worship a vital part of it. You need to, you know, if you can't sing or feel uncomfortable, get you some music to play. And, and move from prayer to worship, back to prayer and worship. That is an extremely important part. And, and we want our worship time to be a prayer time. Do you realize that there's opportunities, sometimes there's opportunities in between some of the songs that we do for you to pray? Depending on where we are and what we're used to, maybe we experience different things. Maybe we don't really know what to do. The church traditionally has come to a point to where if you're going to, you know, from two generations, well, a generation or two ago, we didn't do worship songs. We, we didn't do worship. We did, we sung songs. I'm not saying there wasn't any worship in any of it. The, the truth is, though, is that it was built around the scheme of getting up. And some of you are even haven't, it's been so long since you've been there in that setting. You, you, it would be foreign to you now to come to a place and come up, someone come dragging up to the front. And so let's turn to hymn number 439. We'll sing the first, second, and last verses. And then you, everyone starts. I, I'm not, they, you know, I'm not saying worship. Worship can take place in that setting. It's about a person's heart. And if they mean what they're singing, if the words line up with the word, the word. 
Yeah, it can happen. But all too often it was. Listen, when I was young, er, <laughs> what's your confession? When I was younger, and in, in different church settings and pastoring, I, next year will be my 50th year since beginning in ministry. When you start with when you're four or five years old, you know, it just gets right before you do that. But I, I, can, I can recall times when it was actually you could, people called this worship and prayer time before the man of God got up and preached a sermon. Then that was called the preliminaries. It was referred to. The church, we call it, we're going to do the preliminaries and then we're going to preach the word. There's, it's a little, you know, I majored in English, but can I say, what goes on up here before I get up? It ain't no, it ain't no preliminary. It's important, it's key, so very important. And so, okay, I'm drawing it back in. What I want to say here, and, and it's a little teaching going on in this on something a little bit different, is that when you come to this place on Sunday morning, you guys believers, this, would, you, would you pray, seriously pray, and would you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you during our time here in gathering, and would you yield to Him and, and allow Him to just to speak to you and be free in what you're doing and express that? Uh, people express it in different ways. But during our worship time, used to it would be when you finished a song or a hymn book and it was the end, then either it was time for a prayer or responsive reading or something or, or maybe another song. So you would just move on to another song. And you sing a song, stop, sing a song, stop, sing a song, stop, and sing a song. Now, worship and ministry should flow. If you've talked to any of these folks been in here for years, I've said there always should be a flow in worship it should not be stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. There will be a flow sometimes uh, 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 where you come to different levels and things, but there's a flow that goes on. And that's important because the Holy Spirit's moving through this entire thing. And in between singing a particular worship song, you probably have noticed that the music continues and we stop singing that song for a little bit. Except... Leanne doesn't stop singing. And Judy doesn't stop singing. And Corey, some of the others that are up here that singing, they, they, they don't all necessarily stop singing. Well, well, why? We got through with that song. What are they doing? They are singing to the Lord. They are singing as led by the Holy Spirit. They are worshiping and they are praying, connecting that. So what am I, what am I saying that? If that's, not, if that's not something you've been used to, then I want to encourage you, instead of just standing there like a knot on a log, instead of just standing there and just wondering, well, when they finish that, we'll go on the next song or something else, instead of feeling uncomfortable about it, instead of scratching your head and saying, instead of being bored, instead of thinking, I'll be glad when they're through with this noise, instead of thinking those kinds of things, connect. You've just been singing to the Lord. You've been blessing him. And now the music's continued. Then why don't you just talk to him? Why don't you just say what's on your heart? 
Why don't you just spend that as a wonderful time? Just You don't have to say it out loud necessarily, or you can say it loud. I don't care. But you can, during that time, say, Lord, you are great. There is none like you. I am grateful, so grateful for you. God, I thank you for your presence. We're, I'm here to worship you today. I bow before you today. Lord, God, may you receive the glory and the honor. All praise belongs to you. Lord, I worship you. I thank you for working in my life today. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. You can worship. In that two or three minutes sometimes in between, you can really connect and worship on a one to one basis from your own heart. If I'm going to hear my wife tell me just how much she loves me, and I like that when she does that, but if I'm going to hear her, I don't necessarily want her to read it to me from something that someone else has written. Now, you might use that from time to time, Valentine cards are sweet. You know what I want to hear? I want to hear a word from her heart to me. You know what the Father wants in worship? He loves, he loves it when the church worships. He loves it when we dance and sing before him. He loves it not because he's an arrogant God, but because it's a blessing to us when we worship him. He loves us. And so when we worship him, wonderful things happen. But oh, how he loves it. When we're not just going down and singing the same line, which is good, but we come to a point to where we're just singing our own heart, our own message, or just speaking it quietly to him and just taking a moment or two, even just to be still and listen to him. Could I just encourage you, if you haven't started practicing that, is if we do have little intervals in between worship, hey, it's you and God time. Learn to enjoy it. Learn, God may speak something amazing to you during those times. Okay, i got to hurry. Be intentional about including prayer. Prayer is not an add-on. Prayer is not an afterthought. It, it's not some function at the end, just at the end of service. It's not if when we get around to it. That's not what it's about. The second thing is, is initiate or schedule special times of prayer. This coming week ends what we called some, several days ago, 40 days of prayer for you to begin to take a time during the day, every day, 40 days in a row to make sure you take time to pray, to seek God, to bring things before Him, to worship Him. And, and it's important for us to take times like this for a prayer focus, all night prayer meeting maybe from time to time, just a prayer gathering. I was brought up in a setting you know, many years ago where church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and any other meetings they could tack on to it. Well, I tell you, you could just get tired of it sometimes too. Can I tell you that spirituality is not measured by how many times you go to a church service? As I've said before, some of the less spiritual, meanest people I know went to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and prayer meetings every week. It's not necessarily a sign of spiritual maturity or growth. And I'm not proposing that we start having those meetings. I think we are doing what the Lord's put in our heart to do. However, you know, used to, you always said, they called it prayer meeting. <laughs> I was brought up in what was called, this is our Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, now they call them other things most of the time. But when I was brought up, it was always called Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I really don't know why. Because in all the years I went to Wednesday night prayer meetings, 
we almost never prayed or maybe a minute after our whole... Prayer was not a very important part of the prayer meetings, but we call them that. But what I'm saying is, you know, there is a time when the church needs to, on purpose, say, here's a time we're going to get together. We're going to vote to prayer. It's not going to be about anybody standing up and sharing testimony necessarily. It's not going to be about somebody standing up and preaching. It's not going to be about having a song service. It's going to be about we're here to pray above everything else. We need to designate some times like that, and I fully intend that we're going to do that. Number three, we should make prayer the foundation of every ministry, every endeavor. We have wonderful folks here involved in ministry, wonderful people that help with all the different facets of ministry on Sunday morning, and they do often give much time during the week to these areas. Uh, you know, with the children, the young people, the media, the uh, those who, who greet, welcome, hospitality, the worship, and all the others that are involved in different aspects of ministry, and many of you are, and you do a great job, and you're devoted to it, and I'm so grateful for every one of you. However, I realize that so often we plan, we have meetings, we talk about things, we, we, and it's not that we don't, we do pray when we get together. We'll pray and ask for God's guidance, but I'm con I, my desire is, is that prayer become the engine, the power, the beginning place to launch everything that we do here. 